This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of hallux varus from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Hallux varus is a condition characterized by the medial deviation of the hallux relative to the first metatarsal bone, most often the result of overcorrection from prior bunion surgery. Diagnosis is made clinically with varus angulation of the gray toe. Treatment may be observation or operative depending on the severity of varus, prior surgeries to the hallux, and patient symptoms. Now, let's get into the episode. As far as the epidemiology, the incidence varies between 2 to 14% after corrective surgery for hallux valgus deformities. As far as the demographics, this is more commonly seen in women. Now, let's go over the pathophysiology of hallux varus, specifically the causes and the pathoanatomy. As far as the causes, hallux varus can be caused by congenital or acquired conditions. Congenital causes include a metatarsal physeal bracket. Acquired causes include iatrogenic, specifically overcorrection from surgery. It can also be from trauma, inflammatory conditions, for example, rheumatoid arthritis or ankylosing spondylitis, or from neurologic conditions, for example, Charcot-Marie tooth or post-polio. The pathoanatomy of hallux varus involves loss of osseous support, excessive resection of the medial eminence, excision of the fibular or lateral sesamoid, over-release of the lateral capsular structures, over-plication of the medial capsule, and or over-translation of the intermetatarsal angle or hallux valgus interphalangeus. As far as orthopedic manifestations, hallux varus usually presents with three possible components, medial deviation of the hallux relative to the first MTP joint, supination of the phalanx, and claw toe deformity. Again, hallux varus usually presents with three possible components, medial deviation of the hallux relative to the first MTP joint, supination of the phalanx, and claw toe deformity. As far as prognosis, in established hallux varus, the role of non-operative management is limited. Moving on to the presentation of hallux varus, patient's main complaint is the appearance of the gray toe as being quote-unquote too straight to excessive medial deviation. Patients will also have the complaint of difficulty wearing shoes. As far as symptoms, hallux varus is often asymptomatic. However, pain indicates underlying joint arthritis or trauma. Patients may also complain of decreased range of motion, instability, and weakness with push-off. Physical exam should include inspection and motion assessment. Inspection may reveal varus angulation of the great toe, dorsal contracture of the MTP joint with or without IP joint contracture, the EHL may be medially displaced, creating a bowstring deformity, and the tibial or medial sesamoid may be medially displaced. Motion assessment should be done to determine if the hallux varus is a fixed or flexible deformity. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a weight-bearing AP and lateral view of the foot. Additional views include non-weight-bearing oblique views and sesamoid axial views. Findings may include that the hallux valgus angle is less than 0 degrees, where normal is 5 to 15 degrees. Other findings include excessive medial eminence resection, overcorrection osteotomies, reduced IMA between the first and second metatarsals, medial subluxation of the tibial sesamoid, absent lateral sesamoid, and or degenerative changes at the MTP or IP joints. A CT scan or MRI is usually not required, but may be considered if there's underlying osteonecrosis of the first metatarsal. 
Treatment of Hallux varus can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes shoe modifications to accommodate the deformity and taping or splinting the deformity. Shoe modifications to accommodate the deformity is indicated for flexible, long-standing, and asymptomatic deformities. This is also indicated if the patient prefers this treatment. Specific modalities to mention for this type of non-operative management includes wider and more flexible toe box shoes, as well as padding the bony prominences. As far as outcomes, mild, flexible, and stable deformities are usually well tolerated. Taping or splinting the deformity is indicated for early postoperative varus deformities after hallux correction surgery. The specific modalities involve frequent taping and follow-up, and the duration should be maintained for up to three months or until soft tissues have healed. As far as outcomes, taping or splinting the deformity may correct the deformity if initiated within the first few weeks from surgery. Operative options include a lateral closing wedge osteotomy, tendon transfer with medial release, and first MTP arthrodesis. A lateral closing wedge osteotomy is indicated when there's overcorrection of the proximal-slash-distal metatarsal osteotomy or proximal phalangeal osteotomy. As far as the specific surgical techniques, a revision osteotomy should be done to reestablish the alignment and consider release of scar tissue and repair of the lateral ligaments. Tendon transfer with medial release is indicated for flexible first MTP joint deformities. The specific techniques include adductor halysis tendon reattachment with medial release. However, this may be difficult in cases of previous McBride-type surgery. Other techniques include an abductor halysis tendon transfer on the base of the lateral base of the proximal phalanx. This is combined with the reattachment or reefing of the conjoint tendon in the web space. Finally, another technique may be transfer of the EHL or EHB and medial release with or without IP joint arthrodesis. Remember to transfer the portion of the EHL or EHB under the transverse intermetatarsal ligament to the distal metatarsal neck, that is from lateral to medial. Finally, a first MTP arthrodesis has both absolute and relative indications. Absolute indications include a fixed that is not passively correctable first MTP joint with significant deformity and non-functioning hallux. Another absolute indication is painful joint arthritis. Relative indications for a first MTP arthrodesis includes excessive medial eminence resection beyond the tibial sesamoid sulcus. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's do two flashcards to test your recall. Excision of which sesamoid during hallux valgus surgery may predispose to hallux varus? So excision of the fibular or lateral sesamoid during hallux valgus surgery may predispose to hallux varus. And the final flashcard, what is the preferred treatment of a persistently symptomatic, non-passively correctable hallux varus deformity? So the preferred treatment of a persistently symptomatic, non-passively correctable hallux varus deformity is a first MTP arthrodesis. Again, the absolute indication is a fixed or not passively correctable first MTP joint with significant deformity and a non-functioning hallux. Now, let's continue to apply the information from this episode and do some multiple choice questions. First question. A 60-year-old woman presents with an iatrogenic hallux varus following distal metatarsal osteotomy with an incongruent MTP joint and early arthritic changes. 
She has this condition following corrective forefoot surgery six years ago. She has attempted to manage her condition with shoe wear modifications, taping, and splinting, but has consistent pain. Her metatarsal phalangeal joint is not completely reducible on exam. Which of the following treatment options offers her predictable alignment and pain relief? And the choices are 1. MTP joint hemiarthroplasty. 2. Lateral metatarsal opening wedge osteotomy. 3. First metatarsal cuneiform arthrodesis. 4. MTP joint arthrodesis. And 5. MTP joint interpositional arthroplasty. The correct answer to this question is 4. MTP joint arthrodesis. So the patient presents with iatrogenic hallux varus with early arthritic changes. Hallux MTP joint arthrodesis provides the most predictable results in terms of pain relief and alignment. Hallux valgus surgery may result in iatrogenic hallux varus. Surgical management of hallux varus is predicted on determining the level of deformity, the activity of the patient, and the presence of arthritic changes. Grimes et al. retrospectively studied a group of 29 patients, or 33 feet, who had undergone MTP arthrodesis for failed hallux valgus surgery. The authors found substantial improvements in pain relief and alignment. However, patient-reported outcomes were significantly worse in the revision setting compared with primary arthrodesis for hallux valgus deformity. Moving on to the next question. A previously healthy 70-year-old female underwent a reconstructive forefoot procedure approximately 8 years ago. She now presents with a progressive significant hallux varus deformity in the setting of a previous distal metatarsal osteotomy. The hallux metatarsal phalangeal joint shows joint incongruity indicative of osteoarthritis. On physical examination, the deformity cannot be manually corrected to a neutral position. Pain is worse during mid-range motion of the first metatarsal phalangeal joint. What is the most appropriate management plan? And the choices are 1. Chylectomy and medial capsule release. 2. Hallux metatarsal phalangeal joint fusion. 3. Metatarsal hemiarthroplasty. 4. Medial soft tissue release and lateral capsule plication. And 5. Metatarsal osteotomy, medial capsule release, and split extensor hallucis longus tendon transfer. The correct answer to this question is 2. Hallux metatarsal phalangeal joint fusion. So this elderly patient presents with rigid hallux varus secondary to a failed bunion procedure. She has since developed symptomatic arthritis of the hallux metatarsal phalangeal joint. The most appropriate treatment would be hallux metatarsal phalangeal joint fusion. To quickly review, the most common etiology of acquired hallux varus is surgical overcorrection of hallux valgus deformities. The main arms of treatment are joint sacrificing and joint preserving procedures. Joint sacrificing procedures, for example, great toe arthrodesis, are predominantly indicated in symptomatic patients with uncorrectable deformities or elderly patients. Passively correctable deformities are predominantly considered for joint preserving procedures, for example, tendon transfers with medial capsule release. Johnson et al. reviewed extensor hallucis longus transfer for hallux varus deformities. They state that the steps to treatment include 1. Bony correction to create hallux metatarsal phalangeal joint congruency, 2. Releasing the medial capsule, and 3. Transferring part of the extensor hallucis longus tendon into the proximal phalanx under the intermetatarsal ligament laterally. 
Hawkins et al. reviewed operative correction of flexible hallux varus. He recommended two surgical techniques. One, repositioning of abductor hallucis to the remnant of adductor hallucis, or two, suturing abductor hallucis with lengthening tendon graft back to the proximal phalanx and then repositioning the conjoined tendon to correct the varus deformity. Moving on to the next question. A 72-year-old woman with a moderately reducible hallux varus has pain in the first metatarsophalangeal or MTP joint that is activity-related and reports that she cannot find any comfortable shoes. She wants to know what treatment plan offers her the most predictable outcome in terms of pain relief, activity, and the ability to get into shoes. And the choices are 1. First, MTP fusion. 2. MTP joint replacement. 3. Great toe amputation. 4. Keller resection arthroplasty. And 5. Tendon transfer and capsular release. The correct answer to this question is 1. First, MTP fusion. So a great toe fusion is the most appropriate treatment. It is an excellent procedure for pain relief and it gives a predictable result for return to activity and lack of recurrence. A soft tissue correction is not indicated due to patient age and reducibility. An amputation is not indicated in this case in terms of activity level and is an unreasonable choice for an otherwise healthy 72-year-old patient. The Keller resection arthroplasty and the MTP joint replacement allow motion, but they offer unpredictable results for pain relief, activity, and recurrence. And moving on to the final question, a 55-year-old woman has a progressive hallux varus deformity of the great toe after undergoing bunion corrective surgery two years ago. What is the most likely factor associated with this deformity? And the choices are 1. Excessive lateral soft tissue release. 2. Excessive medial eminence resection. 3. Inadequate correction of the intermetatarsal 1-2 angle. 4. Hypermobility of the first tarsometatarsal joint and five, failure of pin fixation in the first metatarsal. The correct answer to this question is one, excessive lateral soft tissue release. So the cause of hallux virus is often multifactorial with overcorrection occurring often from a combination of excessive lateral release, overcorrection of the intramedullary 1-2 angle, excessive medial release, excessive laxity of the soft tissues, and malalignment of the metatarsal osteotomy. In this patient, there does not appear to be an excessive medial eminence resection, and of the answers available, the excessive soft tissue release is the best response. The pins in the metatarsal have no bearing on the result. Hallux varus is not associated with hypermobility of the tarsal metatarsal joint. That's all for this review about hallux varus. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow 
right here on the Ortho Bullets podcast.